is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. On this week's episode, I continue my chat with Rob Jenner about his memories from growing up in Coventry around the Jaguar factory. Tom answers some of your technical questions again. And Richard West explains how motorsport is shaping business. JECpodcast.com Hello and welcome to the JC Podcast brought to you in midsummer. Normally, of course, peak car show season for the Jaguar Enthusiast Club, but this year is different, so I do hope we're keeping you entertained and smiling via this weekly journey into the world of Jaguar. By the way, how are you getting on with all this mandatory face covering stuff in shops? I keep leaving mine in the car and then having to do the walk of shame back to the car in the car park every time I've got to the door and realised I've forgotten it. It is a bit of a nightmare, but I'm sure we're going to get used to it. By the way, very stylish JC face masks available in the club shop at the moment with nice subtle JC branding on them. It's all very nice, looking splendid in mine. I think. Great stuff on the way in this episode, but first, we often talk about the fact that you can join a worldwide family of Jaguar enthusiasts, and that's great, but how about some of the financial benefits you get from being a member of the JEC? Well, on the podcast now, we have Andy Weber, who builds all of the membership benefits and sponsorships that are to be found within the club. Hi, Andy. Hello, Wayne. How are you? Good, mate. Very good. And um, I know you are busy building membership benefits in for members of the JEC. So tell us, first of all, if I join the club, how much money do I instantly save on running my Jaguar? Well, you can save up to 10 times the annual subscription of JEC, uh, which is obviously a significant saving right from the off of over £500. Obviously, not every discount is going to be applicable to every member, but we've got such a vast range of discounts that I think there's something there for everybody. And this is a great thing. You join the club and instantly, as part of your membership, you get access to all of these discounts and schemes and partnerships. Talk us through some of the ones that we can expect to use straight away. And it covers all aspects of Jaguar ownership, doesn't it? So let's start with parts, first of all. Who are our partners with parts and what sort of savings are we expecting? Our uh, JEC sponsor and uh, club partner uh, for parts is SNG Barrett, who are well known to everybody within the Jaguar fraternity. And they're offering up to a 10% discount on any parts that you order from them. Um, Obviously, they've got an extensive range and they support the club at their events as well. So it's great that we've got a partnership with them. Going forward then, um, in terms of restoration, we've got Classic Motor Cars in Bridge North, they offer a discount on, on labour and parts as well, actually. Um, they're really just around the corner from Barris as well. Um, but they've got a fantastic sort of worldwide uh, reputation for, for restoration of Jaguars. And, of course, we met Fines Restoration on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, a new restoration partner on board. And through being a member of the club, you can actually genuinely save a huge amount of money if you need work on the car or if you need a major restoration project undertaken by one of these specialists. Yeah, you can indeed, Wayne. If you're having a, a, a large-scale restoration, then any discount um, is going to be significant. Um, and both CMC and Fines Restoration are obviously club partners and can help with that. Um, and then we go on to other partners uh, like um, Pirelli with the fuel card offer 
that we've had for the last couple of years, which has just actually increased. So there's a bigger reward now for um, ordering four tyres from a Pirelli Performance Centre. It's up to £120 now um, in, a, in a fuel car that you receive after you've bought the tyres. And then going on, there's, there's uh, discounts, Swallows, Independent, Jaguar, uh, based um, south of Bristol, they're a tremendous help for the for the club. They they offer discount rates on both labour and the upgrades that they do to all Jaguars, um, as well as supporting the JEC Racing. And of course, there are lifestyle brands there as well, with holiday and tour operators, uh, people like Petrolheads Welcome and Scenic and Continental Car Tours. And then also car detailing as well. Hamilton Classic with the car covers. We spoke to Alistair some weeks ago here on the JC podcast, actually, about uh, getting a really good car cover for your Jaguar and what you should choose. Uh, But also Maguire's, who we're talking to next week on the JC podcast. They're going to be coming on and sharing some top tips on how to detail and polish a Jaguar. And they've been tremendous supporters of the club, haven't they? Oh, Maguire's are absolutely fantastic. Not only are the team there brilliant and they're fully supportive of the club, um, with sponsorship and attending our events and actually supplying us with um, the detailing packs that can be bought via the JC shop at a tremendous discount. Um, but the product, the Maguire's products, um, are absolutely fantastic, far better than any of the other products that I've used. I will only use Maguire's now, and new products are coming out all the time. So Maguire's have been a fantastic supporter of the club for a long time now. We're really, really happy to have them on board. There is also going to be uh, shortly a Zoom call uh, with Maguire's. Uh, So look out on the Friday Spotlight emails for, uh, for that being advertised pretty soon. And of course, something that we all need when we're driving Jaguars is insurance. And you've got three really key insurance partners through the club that really benefit members as well, haven't you? We have, and they also give discounts to JC members, but they also offer the, the three partners that we've got is uh, the Peter James Insurance, Lockton Performance, and Adrian Flux. And they all offer uh, discounts, and they all offer slightly different uh, policies. So it's worth checking them out and getting some quotes from them and to see which one suits uh, suits you as a member. So often we get asked, why should I join the JEC? What do I get for it? And there is a major part of the answer to that question, isn't it? You get opportunity to engage with suppliers, talk to them on a one-to-one level, but also actually save real, tangible money. Yeah, and I think if you look at the very last page of the magazine, uh, that gives you a, an idea about how many partners we've actually got and how many um, how many of them are offer discounts. Um, so that's in the magazine and then on the website as well under membership benefits uh, under the menu option. You'll see those and you'll see the, the, the discount that you get and obviously links through to their websites as well. So yeah, apart from the member benefits uh, as well obviously there's a multitude of events that we uh, that we organize uh, unfortunately obviously uh, been been hit somewhat this year but we're looking forward to uh, to to next year's event in may Absolutely, and we'll be talking more, of course, about the Big Summer Jaguar Festival next year for 2021, celebrating 60 years of the E-Type, plus loads of other anniversaries as well within the Jaguar mark. So, if you're not a member of the JEC, come and join us now. Very easy to do so via the podcast page, jecpodcast.com. You can find the button in the top right-hand corner to join the club now. Click that button, follow the steps, fill out the form, pay your money, and you instantly get access to all of these fantastic members 
membership benefits. I think it's also worth pointing out that we have got one very big um, fuel card offer with Shell coming on board um, over the next few months as well. So that's going to be a really big partner for the club. Brilliant. We'll look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you very much, Wayne. Thank you. Memories of motorsport. Richard remembers on the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. On this week's Richard Remembers, we look at the contribution that motorsport makes to the wider world. Now, the contribution that motorsport makes, of course, to motor car design is obvious, but what about the contributions that the world of motor racing makes to the world of business? It is much more wider reaching than simply just redesigning cars and looking at new technologies for the road, isn't it? It is indeed, Wayne. And in fact, if you go back several decades, you know, clearly the benefits were pretty easy to quantify. Borgenbeck clutches, AP brakes, Noble One, Castrol, all those brands were involved because it gave them a marketing tool. But importantly, it also gave them a test bed. And then, of course, the manufacturers such as Honda and Mercedes and BMW came along and they started to drive the pace of their engineers. Uh, when I was first involved in motor racing, the Honda engineers at Williams pretty much never stayed for more than six months at a time. And they were drafted in from Japan. They were put into that high-pressure world of the pit lane and the factory. And what it did was it instilled in them a greater sense of continuous improvement. And then they were taken back to the factory and put back in the production and design departments in order to speed up the production of the, of the mainstream mark. But it was around about the sort of mid-90s when companies, both in sports car racing and Formula One, started to look at the practices of a Formula One or a sports car team because it was very apparent to them that these, these businesses, these teams, could make fundamental changes in a very, very short window because the one thing I often say when I'm doing my business talks, you know, in those days the race always started at 2 o'clock, so really 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, doesn't matter. But the analogy is the race starts at 3 o'clock you can't phone Liberty Media and say, well, actually, can you give me an extra 10 minutes or can I have an extra week on that? Because as those red lights go out, everything's running. And whether it's good or bad, the team itself has to learn massive lessons from either the victory or the mistake. Flavio Briatore, who ran the Benetton F1 team for a while, he said it's like showing your balance sheet to the world every two weeks. Uh, and there's absolutely nowhere to hide. So from the 90s onwards, uh, companies, external companies, banks, telecoms companies, medical industry they've all started to look at motorsport and they've asked themselves the question if they can make those continuous improvements in such a short time frame why can't we in our businesses it's amazing to see the different and diverse businesses that you have worked with personally to bring those learnings from motorsport too and in particular hospitals and the london underground tell us a little bit about them yeah interestingly uh, 2004 when when my tenure at the british touring car championship came to a close in september i had a couple of months to reflect and i thought where do we go from here and i went to one of the last grand prix of the season and i bumped into professor mark jenkins who is now a close personal friend and also uh, one of my co-authors in the, the series of books that we've written performance at the limit business lessons from formula one motor racing and Mark and I were at, I think, a test session at the time. And he said to me, God, there's so much in this that we could learn. And we started to dig into it. And we came across a very interesting guy, South African pediatrician by the name of Dr. Alan Goldman, who I have the privilege of working with these days on, on a number of occasions. And Alan was, at that time, chief pediatrician at the Great Ormond Street Hospital. And some of the operations these young children uh, have to endure can go on for 10, 12 hours or more. And the handover from the surgical team to the ICU team 
Alan's words, not mine. He said, we were so exhausted at times, we were actually writing the medical notes on our scrubs and, you know, their gowns and their, their gloves and their bits and handing those over to the ICU teams because we were just simply exhausted. And being a Formula One fan, Alan showed some interest and he went along with some of his colleagues to Silverstone uh, at the invitation of Ferrari at the time and studied the pit stop. And the late Nigel Stepney here at that time was a senior team member of Ferrari. He asked this group of doctors and anaesthetists and surgeons, who's in charge? And everybody just looked at each other and he said, well, there's the starting point, what we need to establish. And using what they learned from observing the pit stop and seeing how the mechanics worked in very close proximity, Alan went back with his team and with some further help from Ferrari and completely rearranged the handover from the surgeons and the theatre staff into the intensive care unit and a, a great many practices were adopted by Great Ormond Street Hospital and that was what sparked Mark and I and Ken Pasternak off and led to me ultimately working with over 120 companies worldwide using the Formula One pit stop as the central activity to train and endorse best practice and continuous improvement. And this has had a massive impact on the way that companies sponsor Formula One teams as well, hasn't it? Because a lot of companies now, and I'm thinking of uh, contracts that I've been involved with, even with the likes of Lotus, Caterham, and even over at Mercedes, they are actually building businesses within Formula One teams to develop new technology that they then take out to their own companies, aren't they? Indeed there is. I don't know if it's well known, but uh, Red Bull Racing at the moment are building an enormous new applied technologies building at their headquarters in Milton Keynes and I mean I drove past it recently and it is a huge development and it's a way of taking those learnings and in fact many of the things I learned from, from my time with it um, I was lucky to work on the new Dubai airport project and as you say London Underground and many many of the practices that we take for granted in, in motorsport you know if you look at a sports car pit stop it's, it's a much slower process at Le Mans than obviously a Formula 1 pit stop but then when you really think what's going on in that, there's the integration of one driver out, one driver in, there's possible brake pad changes, there's refueling, there's checking the car over, there's making sure there's absolutely no damage. And it all has to be done in a very, very concise, non-panicked, atmospheric sort of way. And I think when you look at the Formula One pit stop, you know, when I first started, I think pit stops were about 16 seconds. Then they were governed by the rate of the fuel flow during the... Um, refueling era, you know, if you are sort of half filling a tank, it was about seven to nine seconds stop. We're down now to, you know, sub 1.8 seconds for a pit stop. And those things weren't reached by accident. What the teams actually did was they started to A, look at the fitness of their pit crew. They looked at the allocation of the resource. Three guys your size and my size on one corner of the car wouldn't be a good idea because we'd, we'd take up more space. So the allocation of people into those roles do we really need to manually switch the air gun from undoing the wheel nut to doing it back up? No, we don't. We can have automatic switching. And those thought processes today in business are critical, and particularly now with the COVID crisis, with people having to rethink the entire way their business models work, there's an enormous opportunity to look at some of those practices within motorsport and say, you know what, I think I could use that in my business if I apply the thought processes better. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Sharing the passion, sharing the knowledge with the Jaguar model experts. 
Now on the JC Podcast, Tom Robinson from Swallows Independent Jaguar returns for a moment to answer some of your technical questions. And we've had quite a few sent in over the last few weeks. So starting with our first question from Graham Molyneux, and he's talking about engine oil. He says, I own a 1968 Mark II with 70,000 miles on the clock. Am I better sticking with a 2050 engine oil, as was recommended in those days, or switching to a more modern oil, which is, of course, far superior? Well, Tom, after seven odd years of working for oil companies, I know the answer to this one, so I can help Graham out. Basically, modern classic 20W50 oils, such as those from the likes of Castrol, Millers, Duckham's, Morris, just to use those as an example, are specifically formulated for older vehicles running in modern times. They give the right viscosity, the right temperature range that you need. They also give you the right amount of ZDDP, which is an anti-wear additive, which all of the oils need to have. Um, and it has the right additives as well for cold start protection that older engines need. Engines like those found in your Mark II need anti-wear additives such as ZDDP. The problem is ZDDP and anti-wear additives with zinc in them poison catalytic converters so these anti-wear additives they're not found in modern oils plus the fact those with thinner viscosities are designed for modern engines operating under much smaller tolerances so the advice is stick with a good recognized brand of 20w50 classic engine oil and you'll be protecting your mark ii's engine properly hope that was helpful uh, back to you, Tom, now with Stuart Humphreys. He asks about a 2005 Jaguar XJ and he's got problems with the telephone. He says, I'd like to know if there's a phone installation as standard in my car as it has buttons for controlling it on the center console and steering wheel. But there's also a parrot device installed. And after a great deal of difficulty in trial and error, I did manage to get my iPhone to connect to it, which shows up as parrot on the phone. So, I take it the phone is connecting to the parrot and not the car itself. The phone behaves very strangely most of the time in the car. It works most of the time, but people say they can't hear well enough, and I have to fuss with it making driving dangerous. I think I need more microphones. I don't know. I don't see any microphone anywhere, he says. And if the car is a built-in system, then I don't know why it needs a parrot. Why else would it have controls on the steering wheel and console if not for a built-in, presumably Bluetooth-connected phone system? I'm baffled by this widgetry, says Stuart Humphreys. What do you think, Tom? This is something we get asked quite a lot. Now, it is often that the X350 has steering controls for the phone kit. It doesn't mean the option was actually fitted by Jaguar, as it was optional extra on these vehicles. The fact that your vehicle has a parrot system fitted would lead me to believe that the car doesn't have the Jaguar phone kit option fitted. The parrot kit is usually very good and reliable. We rarely experience any issues with these systems, so I would suggest you have a fault possibly with a microphone. They are usually fitted around the interior light area or to the right of the windscreen and are normally visible. Most auto electricians or audio specialists should be able to help rectify this problem for you and we do regularly see these parrot kits fitted to these vehicles so we do know they work very well when they're fitted and all working correctly. Jim Arthur James asks about an XK8 which is leaking in the hood department. He says, help needed please. Can anyone advise me on this situation? I live in Abingdon in Oxfordshire and the hydraulics in the roof 
are leaking fluid through the internal light on my convertible XK8 from 2003. How do I fix it? Unfortunately, Jim, this is a really common issue with the XK8. Now, we call this the green shower. Normally, the hydraulic pipe close to the convertible hood latch fails and leaks down through the light unit on the XK8. Jaguar actually do do a hydraulic roof repair kit for this and it comes with various hydraulic joining fittings and also two lengths of hose including clear fitting instructions. We usually replace both of these pipes and run the new hoses down into the passenger side so you replace as much of the hose as you possibly can. You'll then need to refill the system from the boot with oil and bleed the system. This can take a couple of attempts to do but it's normally fairly straightforward. And finally, Jeffrey Pryor is buying a 2006 XK8 Jaguar. Or is he? Because, he says, when I was on the test drive, the car drove very well, but when the car came up to temperature on the way back, the car seemed to want to stall a bit. It didn't actually stall, if you know what I mean, but there's obviously a problem there. What might the problem be, and should I walk away? Thanks for the question, Jeffrey. Glad to hear you're looking at purchasing XK8. Unfortunately, it's extremely hard for me to advise without any further information on the fault, as it could be a number of things, to be honest with you. I personally would always advise to get a vehicle independently expected before purchasing, especially if there is signs of a problem. It could be something really straightforward, so don't let it put you off buying the right car, but it's definitely, definitely worth just getting a second opinion. Most sellers of cars wouldn't turn their nose up at you getting a second opinion, and they can advise you accordingly. Well, thanks for that, Tom. Tom Robinson from Swallow's Independent Jaguar. He'll be back next week with more from his motorsport preparation diary as he learns the lessons from the first round at Thruxton and prepares for the next round of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club Race Championship. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Join the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club now at jec.org.uk. Well, now on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, we continue our conversation with ex-chairman of the JEC, Rob Jenner, about his memories of growing up in Coventry and around the Jaguar and Triumph brands, and of course, about his love for the Jaguar XJ40. We pick up the story at the point where Rob is explaining to us exactly what it was that sparked a lifetime's love affair with Jaguar. I moved away as as some of our members know to Shetland in the 80s and I formed the Shetland Classic Car Club up there. I became their first chairman. I still go back every two years to the classic show there. My membership number there is still number one. And it was there that I bought my first Jaguar. But it wasn't there that really got me into Jaguar. It was the J-Days at the NEC in the July of 1986 for the launch of XJ40. And the staff and families were invited along to the NEC to see the pre-launch of, of the new Jaguar. And I remember them coming out of the, 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 the back of the wall folded down at the NEC and this XJ40 came out of the dry ice. And I went, I'm going to have one of those one of these days. Um, never knowing that it would end up playing quite so much a part of my life over, as the years went on. Um, but Shetland was, was interesting because cars don't last very long up there. So, so most of the cars are bought in or imported or bought in from Dunesuth, as they would say. And my first Jaguar was a V12 Series 3, um, which was fabulous living on an island, commuting 13 miles to work with the most expensive fuel in the UK. Um, 
but it, it's what switched me on to Jaguar. And it was, I bought this car and I could not believe how cheap it was. And then I suddenly decided that, wait a minute, I can actually afford to run one of these. They're not that expensive as the myth is out there. And if you're a reasonable DIY mechanic, you can keep these things running and keep them looking reasonably well. So three V12 Series 3s later and a couple of 4.2s later, I find myself back on the mainland in 1998 and I bought my first XJ40, which is a 6-litre V12. I've had that car since 1998. It's still in my possession. Um, it's probably the car that I'm most associated with, I guess, in the club. Um, love it to bits. It doesn't get used enough now. But that was the car that started me on the route to my collection of XJ40s. And where are we now? 2020, 22, 23 years later, I have genuinely lost count of the number of xj40s that have been in my collection or passed through my hands um it, it is genuinely in the high hundreds that have that have been through here and they're an Im incredibly important milestone in the history of jaguar aren't they the xj40 not least the fact that they were the last model created when jaguar was in independent hands of course the xj6 x300 shape came during ford times um but it did come in for a lot of bad press in the subsequent years after its launch, despite the fact that those cars were basically indestructible, weren't they, XJ40s? They were very common, especially uh, the 2.9-litre cars. They're very common um, upper executive level um, uh, cars in businesses. So they would do starship mileage and just keep going. It's unfair, the bad press they've had over the years, really, isn't it? it indeed, yeah. The, the 2.9, to be fair, wasn't the best of engines for that car, but it was done as a tax break to get it under a price point, and I, I can't remember what it was, but I think if you bought a base XJ6 in poverty spec, 2.9, it was under £16,000, if I remember rightly. Somebody will put me right on that. Um, but the car was there. It, it is the car that saved the brand, but in my view. There is no question. It was done with a very, very small team, um, a tenth of what BMW or Mercedes would have done. And when you get to know the people that were on that team closely, the stuff that went on was absolutely incredible. The most tested car ever in, in Arizona, in Timmins, out in Canada for cold weather testing and all, all over the world. Um, fantastic days at Jaguar, in my view. Um, and that's where I came into the story because Dad was on XJ40 development. But I've been lucky. I've, I've now met some of the top people that were involved in it. Some of the, you know, Jim Randall, Ed Abbott, all these guys. The problem was that the car had been in gestation for so long um, and John Egan needed the cash from that new car and it was probably launched two years too early, but it had to be done just to get the volume. And when you look at the sales figures of XJ40, he was right because 1988 was the peak year for sales of that car. It was never bettered. And as you rightly say, mechanically, they are indestructible. You have to be a lunatic to break one of those AJ6 engines, a real lunatic. They suffered a few electrical gremlins and they did corrode in time. 
But again, when you've spoken to the people that were involved, you understand the reasoning why it happened. And if you look at the progression of the car, the last cars were what the car should have been when it was new. And a late XJ40, if you can find one now, because the prices are going up, I still believe it's a fabulous, fabulous car to drive. Definitely a future classic and one of those Jaguars that gives you the true Jaguar experience is just about simple enough to work on yourself at home, uh, but is modern enough and reliable enough to use frequently and, and kind of use every day still, really. Yeah, and, and as you know, we, we do use our cars a lot here. Um, they, they do fairly high mileages. Uh, we love them. And when you think about going back to the electrical gremlins that they are said to be riddled with, what you've got to remember is this car was launched in 1986. That's 34 years ago. I wonder how many people have got their personal computer um, or mobile phone. Were they invented in 86? Yeah, they were the size of a working. brick. <laughs> yeah. Are they still working or, or not? You know, you think of the conditions that car electronics have to go through compared to your laptop that sits on your desk. Mm. The temperature differences, the, the, the heat, the cold, the wet, the dry, the dirt. And these cars are still out there. We have two digital dash XJ40s here that have no gremlins in them at all, not mm. one. And the great thing is, although sometimes those electrics do have problems due to their age as, as you say they are modular in fashion so as long as you can track down which bit's gone down you can just unscrew the little black box that runs it and generally speaking just replace it can't you that's the great thing about them you can or the, the, the other way um a great friend of mine david marks made his living off repairing xj40 modules that's how his business really took off um so yeah you can replace but there are no new, there's no new parts available now, so you can be replacing bad with bad. It's actually better to find out what's failed and repair it, because with a soldering iron, all of these things are fixable on an XJ40. Yes, of course, all solid-state electrics, transistors and stuff that you can fix. And Dave Marks, of course, a good friend of this podcast, he uh, advises Tom Robinson on all of your technical questions that you send in. Uh, so he's definitely the man in the know when it comes to XJ40s. Um, you have, though, owned a number of more modern Jaguars, haven't you, Rob? And especially X-Types, I know you're quite fond of. Uh, Jaguar in the modern era has produced some really stunning cars that are going to be classics of tomorrow. Yep. Um, X-Type is is a personal favourite of mine. Um, again, it, it brought Jaguar into a different market, that small executive sector. We have had, uh, again, Wayne, I've lost count, probably 50, 60 X-Types, everything from four-wheel drive, three-litre manual estates through to two-litre diesel uh, saloons. Current favourites at the moment are the late facelift, high-spec, 2.2 manual diesel estates. Um, currently running an 09 plate at the moment. It's been to the moon and back. It is over 200,000 miles, and I have no qualms about getting in it. And I, I did it 
In fact, on uh, Wednesday, I did 705 miles down to Hatfield and back in the car at 51.6 miles to the gallon if you're interested in fuel economy. Can't ever miss the beat. It's fully spec'd. It was a lovely drive up and down. Uh, you've just got to be careful when you're buying them. Um, we all know that Jaguar's rust and X-Type is no exception, so check your sills on your X-Type. But cheap to run, cheap to repair. And again, if you are any sort of competent mechanic and you've got some very basic diagnostics, you can do most things on an X-Type yourself. The other one of my favourites is X350. I genuinely believe that's the best car Jaguar ever built. And again, a huge, huge value for money now. We've had everything from a three-litre base XJ6 right through to the Daimler Super 8s um, and all stops in between um, XJRs, 3.5s, 4.2s. Great cars um, and huge value for money at the moment. So that, that's my tip for the future. Um, incredibly groundbreaking as well as the first mass-produced all-aluminium body Jaguar uh, that the company ever made. So, um, yes, definitely yeah. a, a mark of a future classic. And just the advice that you gave us there on on buying those cars and things that a new enthusiast should look out for is really an example of how you have become so involved with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club over the years. Of course, leading to you, in the end, holding the position of chairman. Um that must have been quite a, a mad ride to get to that position in the club. Yeah, I, I think I only got it because nobody else wanted it, to be <laughs> honest with you. So let's give it to that lunatic up in Scotland. Um, now, in, in all seriousness, that was a huge, huge privilege. Um, luckily, my dad was still alive to see me take that position as well, which made him very happy. I can imagine. Well, you are still very much involved with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club and, of course, have met through it some incredible people. And you got particularly close to one Jaguar legend, didn't you, uh, by the name of Norman Dewis. And you became very fond of our Norman, didn't you? <laughs> well, I, I met Norman through my partner, Letitia Mace, of course, who knew him before I did. Um, but, yeah, we became very good friends. Um to the point where you kind of got to know the real Norman rather than Norman the celebrity, which whilst he looked happy in that role, he was actually far happier sitting on a chair in the corner somewhere just chatting about how it used to be and what, what, what we used to do. Um, so, yes, we got quite close to our Norman, I have to say. Mm. In fairness, it, it is his 100th birthday on monday are you aware of that indeed yes i am and of course had coronavirus not hit we would have been at silverstone classic putting on a parade in memory of norman's 100th birthday unfortunately we haven't been able to do that this year but that would have been a fitting uh, testament to him really in his what would have been his 100th year i'll tell you this wayne this is just between you and i because i know that nobody's listening <laughs> we will be taking a car out to do 100 for norman on his 100th and it was the car that Norman wanted. If you remember, he wanted to drive 100 cars at 100 miles an hour on his 100th birthday. Mm -hmm. And he'd got a list of cars. And Letitia's car was one of the ones that he wanted in that group. So there will be somewhere, I'm not going to say where, 
And of course, we, nobody's listening, but 100 miles an hour will be done on Monday somewhere. Excellent. Well, I think that's a fitting tribute to Norman and uh, <laughs> someone. It, who... It'll be on a private track, you understand. <laughs> yes, of course it will. Of course it will. And, um, you, you know, we spent a lot of last year sharing Norman's stories uh, with people as we put on a number of displays with the Jaguar Enthusiast Club at uh, shows like the National Exhibition Centre's uh, Classic Motor Show and, of course, uh, Race Retro earlier this year, just before the pandemic hit. And next year would have been a key year to remember him as well because, of course, 60 years of the Jaguar E-Type, one of the most iconic cars ever built. That would have been yeah. a special time to have had Norman around. Yeah, sadly not to be. But going back to that NEC event that we did with XJ13 and 77RW, and, you know, that was quite special. I mean, that was a spectacular display that the club put on. But my abiding memory of that was arriving on setup day when the cars had arrived. Um, I first see my dear friend Graham Tarver behind the wheel of XJ13 because he's now a volunteer at Heritage being pushed in um, and he said in my head I'm driving it <laughs> you know? um, but we're there we're setting up and Patch Jobson who was doing the AV at the time is setting everything up and he puts Norman's video on I've got my back turned I can't see anything that's going on I'm busy doing stuff and I can hear Norman's voice hmm. And I turned round expecting to see him. And of course, there he is on the television screen. <laughs> Quite scary. That was an amazing display. It will be uh, living on in our memories forever, that one. And uh, we had the great pleasure of going up on stage, you and I, and telling the Norman Jewish story to those who might not have had the privilege like you did to uh, know him and uh, be a good friend with him um, through the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. And it's a great opportunity to join a club isn't it the JEC and to meet people like that and to have much more experiences with your Jaguar than you would normally have had if you'd have just bought it and enjoyed it on your own that is what clubs give you it's those opportunities you wouldn't have normally had absolutely I mean everything that I've done car club wise over the years has brought an, a, just a, a normal guy from the Midlands into contact with some of the most famous people in the motoring world um, that, that became friends. Uh, you know, it's just been incredible. When, when you get a phone call and you see an unidentified number on your phone and the voice says, hello, this is Wim Percy, I'd like to buy you lunch. Um, you kind of go, what? Um, and we, we spent a fabulous afternoon with Wynn, just Letitia and I and Wynn and one of his friends in a pub in Dorset. Um, and I couldn't drag myself away from this guy. The stories were just amazing. So Wynn, if you're listening, thank you. Um, you know, the Normans, Sterling Mosses, all of the Mike Wilds, one of my motor racing heroes, um, followed Mike, and I know he's been on here. I followed Mike's racing for ever in a day, ever since I first went to Silverstone. And we were lucky as chairman, I got invited to the launch of the Jaguar driving experience at Fen End in 2014, I think, from memory. And we had, you know, three or four instructors there, and they were all introduced to us. And one of the instructors is a guy called Mike Wilds, who was my instructor for the day. And at the end of the day, 
He says, well driven. And I went, brilliant. Thank you for that, sir. I'm sure he said it to everybody, <laughs> but it didn't matter. He said it to me. And it was just one of those moments in time, Wayne, that you just go, that'll never be repeated. It's one of those experiences that you can get by being a member of a club. Well, of course, you can hear from both of those fantastic people, heroes of uh, people like Rob and I who love the Jaguar brand on this very podcast. If you look back through the previous episodes at jecpodcast.com, you can see our interview, which is way back on episode one and two now with Wynne Percy. And you can also uh, see the interview there with Mike Wilds as well just a few weeks ago. Uh, it's been brilliant going down memory lane with you, Rob, and getting an insight into what it was like growing up around the Jaguar car factory and the area around Coventry and also your own passion for Jaguars, which has come across really strongly and it's been great to travel that journey with you here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon out in person at an event with the club but for now Rob Jenner thanks very much for joining us thank you Wayne that's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JC podcast via www.jcpodcast.com and you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits plus the fantastic free magazine that you will get as a member of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.